Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. It is a glorious and awesome day for us here at Sacred Heart as we celebrate the solemnity of Corpus Christi, the Lord's precious body and blood given to us as the most exquisite gift. And I thought as we're reflecting on this gift today, I want to share with you one of the most significant moments of my life, I think. At least I should say it really stands out in my memory as a significant uh, like first encounter with the Eucharist, first encounter with the Mass that really stands out. So I was about eight years old. I was at Mass with my dad. He got in his head that this particular Sunday, we were going to church. We didn't go to church all the time. But this Sunday, we were going to church. So he and I, we went to church, and we're sitting near the back of the church towards the back pew. And Father Costello, he's like 130 years old. He's celebrating Mass. God bless him. He, uh, he's getting to that moment of the most solemn part of the Eucharistic prayer where he elevates the consecrated chalice and the host and those words where we're drawn into the book of Revelation where the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God. There I am, eight years old, fresh off of my own First Communion. Some demon possesses my soul and from the back of the church I just go, Bah! And at that point, my dad's hand encountered the back of my head. And he had me picked up by my Oshkosh Bagosh overalls, and I encounter the living God as I'm thinking, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> and that was it. We left church right away. So, honest to God, that's one of the memories that stands out in, of, of church for me growing up as a kid, and, and I'm a priest now, you know? So, like, you, parents, you're doing great. You're doing great. So, like so many kids, and let's be honest, like so many adults, I didn't, I didn't get the Mass. I just didn't get it. It's like hearing someone tell a joke, but you don't catch the punchline, right? I, I, what's the fuss? What's the big deal? I, I, I think if you were to ask me as a late middle schooler, early high schooler, a teenager, if, you know, why I didn't go, why I wouldn't want to go to church, I think I probably would have said the same thing that every former fallen away Catholic that God puts in the seat next to me on every flight that I take ends up saying to me, which goes something like this, I, ju I just wasn't being fed. I just wasn't being fed. I just wasn't being fed. Friends, there is literally nothing more rich and filling and more substantial than the Mass. There's not a more precious gift than the Eucharist. Mass, mass is not necessarily about what I'm getting out of it, although what you're getting out of it is the flesh of the Son of God. Last I checked, that's a pretty good thing. The Mass is about what God is doing. It's about what he's doing for me, that God himself is changing bread and wine into his flesh and blood so that you and I can partake of his life, that we come here to swim in the very heart and life of the Trinity, that heaven comes to earth and earth goes to heaven, that you think you're in Wadsworth right now. Guess again. You are in the throne room. You are at Calvary. You are at the Last Supper. All of these realities come clashing together, crashing in, in this mystical reality that we are there at the foot of the cross as God in the flesh offers up his life for us to rescue us from the powers of sin and death and hell. And if you went to Mass once in your life and received the Eucharist once in your life, your whole life would have been extraordinary. 
It would have been extraordinary. You will never do anything more extraordinary than receive the Eucharist. But let's back up on this. That I want to take us just very simply back to basics today. I know school let out. We're in the summertime. But I want to do a little lesson for us today. I want to take us deep into the rich theology of all this stuff. I want us to learn, walk away with a deeper appreciation. Basically answering the question, really, what is the Eucharist? What is the Eucharist? Because it's the year 2023, and there are a lot of flavors of Christianity in the world, in the church today, and a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of different understandings, let's just say, a lot of different understandings of the Lord's Supper, what he did when he celebrated the Passover that night with his friends. And you could throw a rock and hit a different church in Wadsworth, and you could get a different answer to the question, what is the Lord's Supper? Every single one of them would have a different answer. But what we want to know is, what is the historical truth What's the historical truth? What, what have Christians believed about this since the beginning? The clear and constant teaching, the witness of history, the witness of Christians, the witness of the writings of the saints is this, that was unchallenged for 1,500 years, that the Eucharist is not a symbol. It's him, right? It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ under the appearances of bread and wine under the appearances of bread and wine. The church, the word that the church landed upon to describe this miracle is a word that appears in the, in the 1100s. The word transubstantiation, right? Transubstantiation. If you're ever playing hangman with a little child, transubstantiation will befuddle them. That's a fun one to do with the second graders when I go into the school. Transubstantiation. Anyway, it's a non-biblical word, right? The word transubstantiation doesn't appear in the scriptures, right? That's the great critique of our Protestant brothers and sisters. Where does that word appear in the scriptures? Yeah, well, find me where the word trinity appears in the scriptures. It doesn't. Trinity, transubstantiation, these words are the theological reflection of the living church over time, reflecting on these mysteries. So what does this word really mean? It means this, that the substance, right, the deepest reality, the the isness, if we want to use a philosophical phrase, the isness of the bread and the wine, it changes while the accidents, it's a philosophical word, the accidents, another way, in other words, the appearances remain the same. How it looks, how it smells, how it tastes, it all remains the same. The properties of the wine remain the same. If deacon drinks too much of the precious blood, deacon's going to get a little schnookered, right? That's what's going to happen that it still behaves like wine, smells like wine, tastes like wine. The bread still feels, tastes, acts like bread. But the deepest reality, once it's placed upon this altar, once it's consecrated, it changes. The deepest substance changes. Now here's the question. Why in the world would we believe this? Why would we believe this? There's nothing else in reality that does this. We don't think that, oh man, I think that that chair over there, that might actually be a giraffe. I know it looks like a chair, feels like a chair, acts like a chair, but I think it's actually a zoo creature. No. In our normal experience, the way that a thing appears corresponds to what it is. Why would we believe that this is different about the Eucharist? Simply this. It's this. Because if Jesus is who he said he is, then, he, then his words have the power to make this happen. C.S. Lewis, who you know I love so much, C.S. Lewis famously put it this way, either Jesus wasn't actually God, but thought that he was, in which case he's a lunatic, or Jesus knew that he wasn't God and said that he was God, in which case he's a liar, or 
he was God and he knew it, in which case he's the Lord. These are the three options that are available to us. We cannot say the ridiculous thing that a lot of people do say about him, which is he was just a nice guy, an impressive moral teacher. No, no, he didn't claim to be just a nice guy. He claimed to be God. So either he was and he knew it, he wasn't and he didn't know it, or he wasn't and he knew it. Either Lord, liar, tick, or loon, Lord, lunatic, or liar. Those are the options. If Jesus is who he said he is, namely the Lord, then that means that his words don't merely describe reality like your words and my words do. No, his words affect reality because that's what God's words do. Let there be light and there is, right? Let the waters come forth and they come forth. Jesus says to Lazarus, come out, and the dead man comes out. He says to Jairus' daughter, little girl, I say unto you, arise. And she gets up. Right? His words don't merely describe reality. His words affect reality. So on the night of the Last Supper, when he looks at bread and he looks at wine and says, this is my body, this is my blood, his words are affecting that reality. His words have that power. This is a scriptural doctrine. Like, as Catholics, we have to know this. This is a scriptural doctrine. Our belief about this is rooted in the scriptures. It comes from Jesus himself in the New Testament and the writings of Paul, and especially what Jesus says in John chapter 6, which theologians and scripture scholars have come to call the bread of life discourse. This is the segment that we have for the gospel today. That after Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish and feeds the 5,000, it says that he comes to the synagogue in Capernaum. And he begins to teach them about this very doctrine. This is what we hear in the gospel today. And the, and the crowds, they don't understand what he's saying. They don't understand. Isn't this Jesus of Nazareth? Who the heck does this guy think he is? Why does he, like, what does he mean that I have come down from heaven? Like, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What is he talking about? Doesn't he know that... It's against Jewish law, Leviticus 7.26. It's against Jewish law to eat meat with blood in it. Who does this guy think he is? What is he talking about? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And at this point, as the Jewish crowds are grumbling, Jesus, as a teacher of truth, he would have been obligated to correct their misunderstanding. Right? If Jesus meant this symbolically, if he meant this metaphorically, he would have said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, guys, no, no, calm down. I don't mean it literally. I just mean you have to eat my flesh symbolically. But that's not what he does. No, he cranks up the heat. Because instead of using this Greek word phagain, which is, it connotes the way that we human beings eat food, instead of saying, yes, you phagain my flesh, he uses this other word trogain, which is how animals eat meat. It's more like to gnaw, to chew, to masticate, like that's the connotation of this word. Unless you gnaw on the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He turns up the intensity. And it's at this point, immediately after this in John 6, at John 6, verse 66, that's John 666, for those of us keeping score, immediately at that point it says a whole group of people walk away from Jesus and say, this is too hard. Who can accept this? When he didn't back down from this doctrine of the Eucharist, the real presence, that's when people walk away. He's saying, I really am going to feed you with myself. After this, they walk away. Jesus then turns to his inner 12. And you'd think he would say, like, oh, man, guys, like, I really blew this. 
Like, like what do we do? Like, do, do any of you know any PR agents? Like, no, he turns to them and says, are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? Because he's, it's as if he's saying, like, if you are not going to grasp this, if you're not going to stay with me on this, then I've got to start all over. I've got to find a new 12. Because this is the gift to which Peter, right, Peter famously responds, Rabbi, not going to lie, this is kind of weird. <laughs> Can you recommend any other rabbis? No, that's not what he says. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, I don't remember that in the Bible. <laughs> no, he says, Lord, like, to whom shall we go? We've come to believe that you have the words of eternal life. In other words, Jesus, like, we don't understand what you're saying. I don't get this. We don't get this. But we, we cannot deny that we've never seen anybody do what you do or say what you say. No one does what you do. So, like, Lord, we're with you. We don't get it, but we're with you. One of my favorite writers, one of the greatest fiction writers of the 20th century, Flannery O'Connor, she was at a, a, a dinner meeting with some famous actors and people in Hollywood, and they're discussing religion, and someone brings up the topic of the Eucharist, and one of these famous actresses, she says, oh, I think it's a lovely symbol. And Flannery O'Connor, summing up the entire Catholic tradition on this, she looks and she just says, if it's just a symbol, to hell with it. That's the truth. If this is just a symbol, then that is a stupid, overpriced bread box. This is a huge waste of money. This is a huge waste of space. If it's just a symbol, is it just a symbol? Friends, this is what we believe as Catholics. This is, this is what we believe now, but again, here's the question. Is this what the earliest Christians believed about the Eucharist? Like, is this just modern, later theolo theologizing? Or is this what the earliest Christians have believed. I'm just going to give you three examples. There's dozens I could have chosen from. Listen to this. St. Ignatius of Antioch, writing in the early 2nd century, he said this, They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not admit that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, the flesh which suffered for our sins and which the Father in his graciousness raised from the dead. Or this one, St. Gregory of Nyssa, writing in the mid-4th century, the bread is at first common bread, but when the mystery sanctifies it, it is called and actually becomes the body of Christ. Or one more. This is St. John Chrysostom. This is your guy. John Chrysostom, 4th century. How many say, I wish I could see his shape, his appearance, his garments, his sandals. I love that. Only look, he says. You see him. You touch him. You eat him. Okay, so if this is what the scriptures suggest, and even though this is what the earliest Christians believed about the Eucharist, we still have to ask this question. Why would God do this? Why would he give us this gift? Well, let me answer that question with another question. What does love want? Love wants union, in a word. Love wants union. Love wants to be one with the beloved. Like you can hear that longing and yearning in every love song on the radio, every ballad, every love poem, everything. Every, every love wants union. Like, and God is love, which means that like, and like love demands vulnerability. And so just like he did 2,000 years ago, Jesus today on every altar, 2,000 years later, gives himself to us in the same vulnerability, just as fragile. He entrusts his most sacred heart to us in the sacred host, St. John Paul II, 
reflecting on the gift of the Eucharist, he said that the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride, which is a funny thing to say when you have another sacrament called matrimony, where you actually have a bridegroom and a bride. No, no, he says the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride, where the bridegroom gives himself to the bride who receives him, and the two become one flesh. God wants union with you. I can't explain why. I can't explain why. I can't explain why he wants union with me. Why he would want to dwell in the earthen vessel that is me, as broken and as cracked and as sinful as I am. Why would he want to come to me? He who needs nothing, who lacks nothing, he desires you. And love is not content with just words. Love wants to show it. Love wants to express it. And he was not content with just saying it either. He gives himself to us on the cross, and he gives himself in this Eucharist. It's the most sublime gift. And how privileged, how blessed are we that all we have to do is come forward and open ourselves. And everything that is heaven pours into everything that is our earth.